Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the first episode of Sports Time Machine here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Anna Kagadaikis, and each week we head down memory lane as I take you back in time as we remember some of the greatest moments in sports history. No flux capacitor needed. All you need to do is subscribe to the show on iTunes or any of your other favorite directories like Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Now, there have been so many great moments in games in sports history, and this week we travel back just a few years ago to what has been dubbed the clay game. Warriors star Clay Thompson broke the NBA playoff record by shooting 11 threes in the game. But it wasn't just about the numbers in the box score. It was about a performance that not only saved the season, but may have drastically changed the NBA landscape as we know it. To go more into detail on that night, I'll get the perspective of the one and only Greg Papa, who's covered the Golden State Warriors for years, along with all of his laundry list of duties. But before we talk to Papa, let's head back in time to May 28, 2016, to Game 6 of the Western Conference Finals in Oklahoma City. Here's sounds from the game. Thompson, yes, another three for Clay Thompson. Curry on the move, met by Durant, and he pulls it back. Thompson wide open for three. Clay Thompson shooting them back into it. From beyond that three-point line, here's Thompson has been on fire, and he hits again. Clay Thompson, his fifth three-pointer, five of nine from the three-point line. All right, here's Thompson again. Clay Thompson has given the Warriors a one-point lead. Here's Thompson who just checked back in and knocks out a three. Now, will this be the final 12 minutes of the season for the Warriors? Thompson, a rainbow three. Clay Thompson with his eighth three-pointer. Thompson turning and shooting. What a shot by Clay Thompson. He doesn't want to go home unless it's to play game seven. A long three for Thompson, and that is an NBA record. His 10th three-pointer of the night. It's an NBA playoff record for Clay Thompson. Westbrook stumbling, lost it. Again, it is Iguodala. Thompson fires for three, yes! Golden State by three. Down courtesy of TNT, after that dagger, the Thunder would not score for the remainder of the game. Warriors would take Game 6 108-101, forcing a Game 7. Klay Thompson led all scorers with 41 points on 14 of 30 shooting, including 11 of 18 from beyond the arc, an NBA playoff record. Dubs would win the series and move on to face the Cavaliers in the NBA Finals, but that's a story for another day. Today we focus on Game 6 of the Western Conference Finals, so let's turn back the clock to May 28, 2016. Rhodes? Where we're going, we don't need Rhodes. Gotta get back in time. 
All right, we step back in time to 2016 with the one, the only, the godfather, Greg Papa. Now, I've worked with some great people in this industry, but I'm going to honestly say, Papa, you are truly one of my favorite people. It is an absolute honor to have you on the show. How are you doing, first off? Well, thank you so much for those kind words. First of all, and right back at you, we didn't get to work a lot together, but we would interact in the studio in the early days. Then we kind of lost touch with each other, but uh, always on my mind uh, with you and your family. I'm good. Uh, the whole world has, has gone crazy the last couple of months, obviously, but we're trying to get by. You know, we're doing the radio show every day and uh, still have some Zoom stuff I do in the afternoon. So uh, I'm working. I'm not going to say as much as I used to because I never have to leave my house so I don't have to drive into the city and work till midnight every night but I've certainly been busy trying to stay somewhat sane in a rather insane time in our history so but I'm doing I'm doing okay yeah, one of the craziest work hours, I'm sure. I mean, you have your show with KNBR, Papa and Lund. You do pre and post with the Warriors, the voice of the 49ers. So you have a lot on your plate. You have a lot going on. But I can only imagine how much you're actually missing sports right now. But I will tell you, if there's anybody who remembers the Clay Thompson historic Game 6 in OKC better than anyone, and I'm probably including Clay Thompson himself, it's got to sure. be you. So first off, how many times did you actually rewatch that game after that game? You know what? To be honest with you, I just watched it uh, last night and today to get ready for this podcast. And I've, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I don't think I've watched the whole uh, the whole game until that that faithful night and the, you know before Game Seven. And it's honestly, uh, even though they did not win the championship that year, it is probably the game that I remember the most, and it's the game that was just dripping with intensity and drama because the Warriors faced elimination that night. And, you know, that was the 73 and nine season. And then Steph got hurt in the first round against Houston. And, uh, but by that point uh, he was back and they were starting to roll again, but Oklahoma city came in and took game one. And then the Warriors won game two. And then I remember vividly being at uh, Chesapeake energy arena on a first, Games three and four, and the Warriors just did not look like themselves at all. They got hammered both games by 28 and by 24 points. And I remember flying home the next morning after game four, and I got home just in time to do my noon show with Bonte on 95.7. I mean, I got home literally uh, when the, the cab left me off or the Uber drive, whatever it was, uh, like 11.51, and I had to go on at noon. That's how close it was. But I, I I just felt they would come back and win, and I was talking to everybody about see you Sunday uh, because they still had to play a game five, obviously, to force a game six. And I think game uh, – so that was a Wednesday. So game five was on a Thursday. Game six was on a Saturday. And then game seven was back at home at Oracle on Memorial Day Monday. So the whole theme for me was see you Sunday. I just felt – uh, it, it was going to come down to Saturday night in game six. I knew they weren't going to lose at home. But the tension going into that game, where that's the first time they faced elimination. They had some awkward moments, the first championship run against Memphis being down two games to one and Cleveland in the finals being down two to one. But they never faced elimination, or as I call it, a walk-the-plank game where uh, you're done. The pirate pushes you in the ocean and you're done in the bay and you're that's it. So. Uh, but so it was a, and with the way they won that game and the way Clay played, but they all played just so well. 
I think that's when they they just were such a championship team to me. The irony is they would lose to Cleveland and be down, you know, up three games to one and lose that lead. But there were circumstances to that. That that Saturday night in Oklahoma City, among all, above all the games, demonstrates to me the great championship character of that original team because they, that wasn't Durant. That was Harrison Barnes. And the ultimate guy on the other side they had to get through was Kevin Durant. So that, that night was just, I think that may be the, honestly, they won obviously three championships. I think that's the most satisfying win that I can recall the Warriors having during Steve Kerr's run. I completely agree with you on that because that was such an incredible night, special moment. It was something special to that original team. And you've lived through a lot of it, actually. But aside from Clay also going off that night, he had such a spectacular performance, obviously. 41 points, 11 threes, set the NBA playoff record that night. Aside from Clay going off, though, was there a moment that stuck out to you that most people may not have actually noticed? He didn't have a good start to the game. He had a poor first quarter. And he got better and better as the game went on. And where he where he took the game over was a fourth quarter performance that even though he had the 37-point quarter against uh, against Sacramento, uh, you know, many years ago when he had the highest scoring quarter in the history of the game, and he had that epic 60-point game. But this quarter, they were facing elimination. They were behind. They were on the road. They were in the building where they got hammered. The uh, two earlier games in the series is where Draymond inadvertently kicked uh, Stephen Adams in the groinal region, we'll say, Mm -hmm. and all that controversy and later led to his uh, suspension. So it was right there. It was a, I call the Sleepy Floyd game many years ago on Mother's Day of 87. Uh, And this was a similar challenge, but the Warriors weren't very good then. They wound up losing in five. This was the save the 73 win year. It was all there on the line. And Clay's performance, the shot making, he had 19 points alone in that fourth quarter. He was six of nine from the floor, made five threes. Steph had a big quarter. But I remember Andre's defense and Draymond's defense. Draymond had a tip away, uh, tipped the ball away against Russell Westbrook in a transition late in the game. But as far as Clay, they, they switched Kevin Durant onto him. And they, they decided to put the ultimate length. And at that point in his career, Durant was really defending aggressively. And he showed his ability to guard earlier in the series. So he was uh, the best player on offense in the league. And he was for uh, many, many years. But now he was, I'm not going to say equally as good on defense, but he was close. And when he wanted a guard, he could get out and really guard you. And they switched Durant onto Clay, trying to get some length. And there was one shot that he made about mid-fourth quarter where Durant all, and I I used to say he was 6 feet uh, 13 (laughs) because he never wanted to admit he was 7 feet tall, but he wasn't quite 7-1. I think he's 6'11". But his arms are so long, and he went way out to get Clay uh, above the break on the right wing three. And Clay had to alter the loft on the shot so dramatically to get it over Durant. It was just incredible. And Steph was not in the game at that point. He was going to check into the game, so he was waiting at the scorer's table. And he just gave a look like only great shooters could possibly appreciate. And he made a look like, wow, how did he do that? That was incredible. And uh, so you think of Clay as a rhythm, you know, catch and shoot, kind of a, uh, I don't want to say a robot-like, but just a perfect form and always balanced and beautiful. And in this situation, 
it required, you know, just ultimate spontaneity like Steph does to get that shot up over him. And then there was a play later in the fourth quarter where his feet got all screwed up backwards as a right-handed shot. You're right. Your right foot's supposed to be in front. He caught the ball up way up high. Westbrook was on him, and I think he wanted to squeeze off a shot so fast before they could get on him that he shot it with his right foot back and his left foot in front. It was all screwed up. But what he did was he, he hung in the air and he rotated his legs to get him right in the mid, mid shot. But he was in such a rhythm. Uh, he had ultimate confidence to try. Those may have been two of the most difficult shots he's ever made. He made one later in the game when Andre stripped, stripped Westbrook and then pitched it ahead to Clay, which was the ultimate shot to put him up 104-101, a three-pointer. But that was Clay just one on the court, and he was in perfect form. Those other two were more like Steph, you know, where Steph will kind of improvise and, you know, kind of a, a theater of the arts where it's just like dance and you you just can't – it's not always going to be perfect. And, uh, you know, those two shots Clay made were were just so beautiful and just so just how hot he got and just how much of a champion he is. He was not going to accept them losing. He just could will them to, to the victory. Yeah, all three of those shots were just in- absolutely incredible. You have that that dagger three for to break the tide. OKC didn't come back to score after that. And the uh, the shot, I guess well, it was like almost at the half-court logo at that point. I think yeah. I saw that uh, his former agent had actually called it the corkscrew. And that was the one that actually broke yeah. the record, right? Oh, as far as threes in a game? Yeah. Uh, for a playoff game? I don't know. He made one later, which was number 11. That was number 10, I think. Okay. And it was kind of a corkscrew shot. There's a famous shot. In the history of the NBA, Ralph Sampson, I think at 86, beat the Lakers in Kareem where he caught the ball at an inbounds and he looked like a corkscrew. Right? And he, so that was always the famous corkscrew shot. But this shot Clay made, he kind of had to rotate his hips uh, in midair to get it off. And it was, it was just, and he made some driving layups. I mean, whatever the defense did, and they were challenging him, you know, he was being guarded by Westbrook or Durant or Robertson, they were putting their best guys on him. And uh, he just got so, but it wasn't like Steph just gets hot where it's just incredible shot making. With Clay, there was that moment, there was just a a non-acceptance of losing. He was just not going to lose. And whatever he had to do to win, where it was making incredibly tough shots or always having a counter for whatever the defense did, he did. And it was, plus he guarded really well on the other end. Right. And it was just, it just, it just shows, you know, and Andre had big plays, Raymond had big plays, Harrison Barnes had big plays. And really to me, that really exemplified more than anything that, wow, this is not only the best team in the league right now. This is when they're playing this well and locked in the way they can, take a game over. This is one of the greatest basketball teams you've ever seen play. Yeah, and Clay Thompson truly is probably the epitome of really getting in the zone. It's almost like you didn't see him coming until it's happened, really. It's kind of funny when you mention that, too, because you're talking about how Steph Curry is one of those that he's just amazing at what he does. He gets in the zone. He gets those pretty shots up there. But then you have Clay Thompson. It's almost like he flips the switch. But is there something that his teammates actually see when he's about to have a performance like that? I know it's more than just, hey, he's hot, you know, we'll just keep feeding him. What is it that they see in him that they can tell that it's something special going on here? 
Well, he's uh, they're both streaky shooters, Steph and, and Clay. The thing with Steph is, even when he's streaky bad, he won't stop. He'll keep shooting. Mm-hmm. And he just has that mentality. It's not that he doesn't care, but if he misses a shot, his confidence never wavers on any other shot. He's just going to keep shooting. It's just the way he is. Clay, uh, there are times when missing shots bothers him, and, and you can see that he's lost a little confidence. But, but conversely, when he's feeling it, they know to get him the ball. And even though you've got Steph on the court, and Steph, you know, had a big game. He had an eight-point fourth quarter that night. And, and what did he got, 29 with a near triple-double? He had mm-hmm. a great game. But when Clay is on like that, like Steve Kerr said during the epic 37-point third quarter against Sacramento, we only ran two plays. Get Clay the ball and, uh, and Clay get the ball. You know, there was no other alternative. It was either, you know, they, they know uh, they're going to get it to him or he's going to come get it, and that's it. And they, they felt it. They, they knew he was the guy they were looking for now. But, you know, it also, if you're Oklahoma City and you see Clay's going off, that doesn't mean you're going to leave Steph Curry open. You're not, you're not, you know, they're not idiots. So they, you know, if for hand, you know, if by chance they just drop Steph, then he's going to kill him. So they, you know, I think part of their brilliance together is the gravitational pull they have for each other. But yes, I mean, when, when Clay gets into those white hot moments, then that's the one, that's the great thing about this warrior team, including Steph, they all, they have a feeling like just get them the ball and we're going to ride this hot streak until it stops. And some nights it never stops. You know, the third, that 37 point third quarter against Sacramento, he didn't play the fourth quarter, right? You know, the 60 for the 60 point game against Indiana, he didn't play the fourth quarter. He could have, he may have had 80. This game, they never stopped because they had to have every point to win the game. So he just kept going right to the tape, right to the finish line. So, yeah, once they once they sense what everybody senses, that one of the great pure shooters in the history of basketball is hot, they know get them the ball, even when they got, they got Steph Curry as well. And I think one of my favorite things about that Pacers game, that 60-point game, is that he touched the ball a mere 90 seconds. I still cannot get over uh, that. It just, it's yeah. so crazy. 11 dribbles, 11 <laughs> dribbles that night, yeah. And the crazy. funny thing with Clay is that he was actually mad at himself for missing shots early on in the game, said he had some early yeah. looks that he missed, and he thought he should have had 13 that night. Yeah, he's a total perfectionist. And even the night when he made the 14 threes, I think he took like, how many did he take that night, 25 or something? He took a ridiculous amount. But he talked more about the ones he missed than the ones he makes. Because when you're a shooter like that, they, they expect them all to go in. They, there's no reason that to them, you know, why the ball won't go in the basket. They're so good at that level. So, yeah, he – but this night, uh, uh, it may have been – you know, he, he was 14 of 31 in the game. So he missed 17 shots. It wasn't like he was 14 of 20. But it was the mentality where he knew he needed a shoot and score for his team to win and stuff likewise. Steph got up 22 shots between the two of them. They shot it 53 times and took 32 threes. <laughs> it's like, so it wasn't like they both were well below 50%, but they were, you know, Clay was 11 of 18 on threes, which is amazing. And Steph was six of 14, which is really good. So they, they just let, they, as they say, they just emptied the, you know, empty the tank. 
they let it all out. And they, they, if they were going to lose, they were going to lose on their terms. But that night, they knew they weren't going to lose because their championship team, they just wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't accept losing that night. And they did. And it was a game of the ages, to say the least. But some say that game six actually changed the landscape for the entire NBA. That if Clay didn't actually have that historic game, the Thunder would have been the ones who have moved on to face the Cavaliers in the NBA finals, which would have snowballed into countless different amount of scenarios for the offseason. Do you think that the Warriors could have been a one and done team had they not beaten Durant, land him in the offseason? Or do you see a different scenario? Yeah, that's the other part of it that was so compelling was the Durant element to it. And Kevin Durant is such a great player. I, I think, honestly, he's the best uh, He's the best West Coast warrior that's that's ever been here. And Wilt, you know, Wilt had some incredible uh, points-per-game averages. You know, when he, uh, when he averaged the 50 a game, he was in Philadelphia. But uh, shortly after he moved out here, he averaged in the high 40s. But, I, you know, and Wilt was a great player take Wilt out of the equation. And I, I still think Durant arguably is better, but uh, nobody, Rick Barry's not better. Uh, Steph is great as Steph is. Durant is just so dominant. Uh, he can get a shot off anywhere, anytime he wants. And he's such a great scorer. And, you know, at this point in his career, when he joined uh, the Warriors and late in that Oklahoma city run. So that was Durant's last home game for the Oklahoma city Thunder. Right. And uh, it was just so much on my mind that night. And the whole series was the possibility of Durant becoming a warrior. And that was the other side of it all was Durant had a good game that night, but he was really off balance. You could see uh, you know, he was 10 for 31 from the floor that night and had some sloppy turnovers, was one for eight on threes. I could picture him being completely off balance on jump shots and jumping in the air with nowhere to go and being off balance and throwing the ball away. The Warriors defense, whether it was uh, Andre or Draymond or whoever, Harrison Barnes, Clay wasn't on him a lot, but if he got switched on him, Durant was just, I think the lack of balance that Oklahoma City has uh, was evident. And I think that was a driving force why he wanted to come to the Warriors was to be a part of this joyful ball movement body movement offense which could alleviate a lot of the pressure on him which it did so that's why that night was just so amazing because i i hold durant on the highest highest level as a player uh he's by far the single the single best opponent the warriors have faced including lebron james and that's why that night was uh you know if there's one guy that could just beat them all by himself it could be durant and earlier in the series at times when they went to their small lineup with Ibaka at five and Durant at four, uh, it outplayed the Warriors' small lineup. But ultimately, the Warriors' system and the share the ball mentality won out. And I think I, I, I think that was on Durant's mind. That's why when they switched Durant on to Clay in the fourth quarter of that game six, uh, I think he must have felt after the game like, wow, they're, I did everything I can to block a shot. I couldn't get to it. And then they got this other guy, Steph Curry. <laughs> and then they got Draymond Green, and they got Andre Iguodala who could lock you up. So I can make my life a lot easier. So, yeah, it was just so – it was such a meaningful night. I guess I didn't think so much of the alternative of them losing. I mean, obviously, it was hovering there all the time. If they lose, what happens? And, you know, that would have had a trickle-down effect on the Durant. But for me, it was more kind of a 
a way to impress Durant that as good as you are, your style of play can't beat us. Come join us and play the way the game should be played, and you're going to make your life a lot easier, which I think ultimately he did. I think he had to respect the system and the way the Warriors played that night and thought, wow, I'm, you know, I may be the best player on the court, but I, I can't beat them by myself. Yeah, and as great as he is of, as a player, you know, won the MVP in 2014. He is a spectacular player on the court. I still think he did learn something and gain something joining this team. And he had no idea at that time that he'd be playing, you know, against his future teammates at that point. And that season was bittersweet in the end when you look at it in retrospect. You know, the 73-win season, they lose in the end to the Cavaliers, but could it have led to Durant and to this amazing team that was arguably the greatest of all time. But so many games in sports history, you've got, you know, the bloody sock game, the flu game, which apparently now is the food poisoning game, according to the Last Dance documentary. <laughs> yeah, the bad pizza game. Yeah. But when you think of game six of the Western Conference Finals in 2016, is there a nickname or a way that you refer to that game to remember it? Well, I mean, obviously, it's the Clay game because of what Clay did, 11 trees and 41 points. But to me, as I say, I, I, and there was a game the Warriors won in Houston when Durant got hurt in game five and they had to go to Houston and play without him. And Steph had a zero in the first half and 33 in the second half. And they eliminated the Rockets uh, last year. It was, it was last year. Seems like five years ago, but it was last year. <laughs> uh, so that game was an incredibly meaningful win uh, because they didn't have Durant and they, you know, had to win in a, on the road and, they were up three games to two, though, in that game, so it was different. But, uh, I mean, this one, I think, to most people is, is the clay game, and it's the, the clay, the game six clay. Clay was fantastic. Fantastic. Made so many big shots. But Steph was fantastic. Uh, Draymond Green was fantastic, even though the stat line may have been, not been uh, – he scored 12 points. He played well, but the way he guarded, he had 12 rebounds, just the 50-50 the, the loose balls. And really more than anything, defensively, it was the way Andre played. Andre was, the way he guarded Durant, the way he guarded Westbrook. I mean, the single biggest play of the game was tied at 101. They had the ball. And Andre, in his classic way, uh, slaps down on the ball, knocks it away from Westbrook, gets the ball in one motion, pitches the ball up the court to Clay, who catches right at the three-point line above the break right, turns and shoots and hits. They go up 104 to 101. I mean, that's the genius of that team. So it was Andre. It was all of it. To me, that may have been the Warriors at their finest, the last six minutes of that game, because they were down. They, they were, that whole night was a struggle. They never had the lead. They had a battle. A couple of times they had the lead, I think, maybe early third quarter. But they were down six to eight points. They, they, it was uphill. And they, just there, like when you watch the last dance with the Bulls, they would have those moments when they would just play perfect basketball for four to six minutes. And they would just suffocate you on both ends of the floor and they'd take the game over. And Michael would make big plays, not only scoring, but defensively, but strip on Malone. You know, and that was that the way they played the last, uh, just the last five or six minutes. Every loose ball, you know, they missed some shots, they weren't perfect. But it was a battle, but just big possessions on both ends of the floor. The thing about the Warriors with their the way they played on both ends of the floor, Doc Rivers had a great line about them, which really summarized it. And I wish I 
had heard it earlier. He had said it earlier, but it was last year, so it was at the end of the run. But he said, the Warriors, they beat you with their defense, and then they show you their offense. And it's really very – I mean, they, 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 the showy part, the glamour part is the offense and the ball movement and the shot making and the long distance. But really where they beat you is their defense and they're suffocating. They're just all over you. And the way they took – I mean, Durant just looked like he, he couldn't get any balance on a shot. He was so off. So, yeah, the clay game, game six clay. But really, that may have been the Warriors' finest hour. The last six minutes of that game, they just made so many meaningful basketball plays, which all led to them winning. And then more so than winning, it was they would not accept losing, which is what the greatest of the great teams do. And that's, that's what they did. They just would not accept losing. They refused to lose. And that's what made them such an exciting team. And maybe one of the ways I'll kind of, I'll remember that season right up to that point. We'll kind of uh, forget what happens in the NBA finals that later that season. Yeah. 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 You know, as much as I'm looking forward to seeing live sports again, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Clay Thompson brings this new warrior team. In the meantime, we've got sports time machine to relive those moments Greg Papa, thank you so much for joining me and reliving history. Oh, and it was a pleasure reminiscing and spending time with you and just talking about a great team and a great player and the whole thing. So thank you. Thank you so much for asking me. And again, you can see Greg Papa on NBC Sports Bay Area for Warriors pre and post games. Also listen to Papa in London on KNBR in San Francisco. And of course, he's getting ready for football season as the voice of the San Francisco 49ers. Thank you so much again to Greg Papa. Yeah, I found it interesting when I asked Papa what he would call that game. He said he calls it the clay game or game six clay and even the Warriors finest hour. That's one I hadn't heard before. So now I'd like to hear from you. How do you remember that game? Let me know by reaching out on Twitter at Anna Kagarakis. That's K-A-G-A-R-A-K-I-S. Or by using the hashtag Believe Sports Time Machine. Now, some other interesting events happened on May 28th. With the Warriors opening this season at the new Chase Arena in San Francisco, here's a little Bay Area fact. On May 28, in 1937, the Golden Gate Bridge officially opened to vehicles. Now, that wouldn't be the bridge that you would take from their old arena, the Oracle Arena, over to the new Chase Arena. That would be the Bay Bridge, but just thought you'd like to learn a little something new today. Well, thank you again for listening to the first episode of Sports Time Machine. Again, a big thank you to Greg Papa for sharing his memories of that night. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate Sports Time Machine on iTunes. We're available again on all your other favorite directories like Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. And again, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Anna Kagarakis. That's A-N-N-A-K-A-G-A-R-A-K-I-S. And I'm also on Instagram at Anna Kags. And if you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Well, time flies when you're having fun. Thanks for heading down memory lane with me. I'm Anna Kagarakis, and we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Believe. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.